Thank you for listening to a message from the Oak Haven Church. The following sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning worship service. We hope that this message will be helpful to you and encourage you to explore the Word of God. And now, this week's message. Well, I hope, uh, I hope you can all be here on Christmas Eve or join us online on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day after, after the big breakfast and, the, and the, all the opening and you can gather around the screen or after the nap, after the big, whenever. I hope you can join us. I hope you can join us for a special time together uh, meditating on the birth of Christ. Uh, I, uh, I'm sure many of you have seen uh, my sermon notes, which have disappeared from the pulpit. Um, did you steal it, Jim? Boy, you think you know a guy. Thank you. <laughs> that's just, that's hilarious. That's all right. We're one big happy family. What was I saying? No, the... Uh, uh, the the uh, it, it's it's been highly publicized. So you've probably heard about the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn happening tomorrow, and uh, I looked for and we we are still uh, Dewey and Max can tell you half of our garage is still just a mountain of boxes and somewhere in there is my my uh, leather bound journal of my course that I took in Israel on the archaeology of the Bible, and we 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 parsed through all the different astronomical events that might have been involved in. And one of those things was, and I think it's been in the, the uh, an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn in the specific sign of the zodiac that stood for um, Israel and uh, in, in combination with a, with a comet and things like that. As Dewey and I were talking about this, you know, if God wants to use natural events that are going to happen, that's his prerogative, amen? It's all his. Uh, the, the miracle in that case lies in the fact that it always happens at just the right time. Um, so it's, 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 it's exciting to think about seeing some of the things that may have been the, uh, the triggers for the Magi. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about them more. I think January 3rd we'll be looking at those guys. So, but, uh, so, but, but there's extra resonance uh, in, in that event tomorrow. Uh, before we go further, would you pray with me? Lord, we praise you. We are, we are amazed at you, at who you are, at how you have fashioned all things, the stars included, and us included, and called us into a life with you, revealed your love for us in an amazing epic story, epic love story that, that, that has all, all the makings of of, of what, what would be the, uh, uh, the, the film of all time in, in, in planning our rescue from before the stars were made. So bless us in this time of meditation, of reflection. Spirit, pour out your gift of teaching and preaching upon me, but pour out your anointing on all of us to, to, hear, to hear your whisper of love in our ears, to hear how, how deeply you care for every one of us, and and help us to respond to, to your call uh, with the willingness of your servant Mary, as she did so long ago. And so we lift our lives in this time to you uh, for your purpose and glory in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And so uh, 
My thanks to our, uh, our guest speaker last week. Boy, he covered a lot of ground and uh, gave us lots of things to talk about. Uh, we won't be able to cover all those today. Uh, we're, we're focused on the text that, uh, that Nicole read for us uh, so beautifully, and I just love seeing all those, all those guys up there. Um, so it, it, Mary visits Elizabeth. We heard how Gabriel started the story by promising to Zechariah in the temple that he would have a special son. And then we, uh, we, we, we saw uh, Gabriel visit Mary and announce the, uh, uh, the coming of Jesus in her. And, and Gabriel told Mary to go visit Elizabeth. And so this, is, this visit is her first uh, act of obedience to God. As she said, she would obey. As she said, she will do anything the Lord asks of her. That's the amazing statement she makes to Gabriel. And so uh, that obedience involves a long walk because she's up in Nazareth and Elizabeth and Zechariah are down in the Judean hill country. They remain, their town remains anonymous, uh, but it's a good 80, 100 mile walk. So, uh, so that's, that's what her obedience takes at, at the very beginning. And in this quick little story of Elizabeth's interaction with Mary before Mary launches into her song, we have three back-to-back testimonies about God's faithfulness. Elizabeth testifies to God's faithfulness. Then, then the unborn prophet in her womb testifies. He kicks out his testimony. And then Mary gives her testimony about God's faithfulness. And the themes and the prophecies that are all entwined in these moments, in, in their fulfillment are too many to name, but one of them that's the most obvious that we've mentioned before, because it just smacks you in the face time and again, is the theme of the source of life, fertility. Because the promise that is being born out begins with infertility, back with Abraham and Sarah. Well, they, then they were Abram and Sarai. They became Abraham and Sarah. Because of their barrenness, the, the fact that they end up being a nation points to God's faithfulness and his power because the only way it happens is if he does it. That happens in the first three generations, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, and Rachel, all are uh, miraculously blessed with children by God's hand. Then other famous infertile uh, instances in the, in the Old Testament, Samson's mother is unable to bear children until God intervenes. Hannah is unable to bear children. She, she bears Samuel after the Lord's intervention. Now Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist because of the Lord's intervention. And not to make too much of it, but Mary will be the seventh woman that God intervenes and, and blesses with the child. And of course, hers is the, is the most important and hers is the most miraculous because, um, because of her, her, her um, maintaining her virginity in the process. Uh, miracle indeed. And so as we look at this, uh, Mary steps out, uh, out of this narrative and, and sings this beautiful song, it's called Magnificat, because that's the Latin version of 
what she sings and what she says. Um, and uh, Jerome translates the, the scriptures in about the fourth century, trans, translates everything into Latin. It's called the Vulgate because, of course, Christianity is the um, official language of the Roman Empire by now. So, 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 so her song is known as the Magnificat. Zechariah's song, just, just a little uh, free uh, tidbit, is called the Benedictus because he blesses the, the, the name of God. So any, anyhow, that's, that's why these things have come to us with these names because of, because of, of Jerome and, and, and his scholarship. And it really was a wonderf- wonderful gift to all of us. So, uh, so let's... Uh, uh, so I don't have the clicker, so you're tracking with... Okay, so let's look at Luke 1 and just track through this uh, in, in terms of some of the themes that, um, that Mary unpacks. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And, and I just want to carry through the lenses of hope and peace and joy and love being woven into uh, this, this season and this song. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Now, just quickly, that was something we noticed last week in this humble birth of a humble God being so radical that in those days and in these days, gods are not humble. They're gods. Why be humble? But, but ours is. Jesus is. And that's what, turns things, that's what turns things on their head. And that's one of the reasons the enemy cannot understand the plan because it's based in humility and love. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm giving away the end. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. So in her personal experience, she sees God's faithfulness and his caring for her, doing great things for her. Of course, uh, focusing especially on her bearing the the child that is to come. But this is a a, a statement about his faithfulness over her life. And, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's a big theme. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the holy. And the powerful from their thrones could mean, and I think does mean, a couple different layers. It's the political rulers, but also the spiritual rulers. As we talked about, the accuser having been cast down and the other references to the enemy as the ruler of the air. And he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and conversely lifted up the holy. Is, is there more? He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He, he is turning things upside down and on their heads. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And, and his and his, his, his reference to Abraham and his descendants forever and generation after generation links a, 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 direct, um, a, a direct reference to, to the way God is working 
through this family that he has established through Abraham. And we see in, in those statements and just the reference to Abraham, the importance. This is why two of the Gospels begin with genealogies for Jesus. Can we see the genealogy? Uh, there, well, we won't go into uh, uh, their differences, but, but both uh, genealogies establish very clearly that Jesus has come straight from Abraham and is fulfilling that promise to Abraham and straight through David and fulfilling those promises to David that uh, were embedded in the psalm that, that, uh, uh, that Brenda wrote at the beginning of the service of establishing David's throne forever and ruling on the throne forever and God and him and that person calling God his father. And all of this has is, is been embedded in the plan for ages. And so when we, when we look at the, at the genealogy, first of all, it points out what I just said. Those covenants are in place in Jesus. The covenant with Abraham and the covenant with David. That God's promises are solid and fulfilled in Christ. But also we can see that there are uh, Gentiles in the list. As if, especially if you know... The easiest one to refer to is uh, Ruth, if you, if you know, know her story. She is part of the story. She is part of the, part of the genealogy in one of the texts. And so the fact that a Gentile is one of the people through whom the promise is fulfilled points to God's eventual welcome of all humanity and his ability to use everyone, which is... Uh, even more, I wasn't going to put the full text up, even more, in one of the texts it refers to Rahab the prostitute being instrumental in moving the plan forward, which underlines even more the fact that God can and will use anyone, any of us, anyone watching. What you've done in the past, like Jim was saying in his communion meditation, what you've done in the past doesn't define you and doesn't limit God because nothing limits God from his use of you in bringing about the most important things, all the things that matter the most. He can use any of us. He underscores that again when he refers directly to David's um, adultery with Bathsheba in, in one of the genealogy texts. And so... And so God will use us at his will if we are like Mary and, and surrendering ourselves and telling him that we will do, uh, we will do whatever it takes to, uh, to answer his call. And so uh, the, other thing that, the other thing that these long lists, especially the one that goes back to Adam, points to God having planned this for a long time. The hopes and fears of all the years uh, that line from uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem, are, are met in Christ. That this was a plan made long ago. This is not a, whoops, got to do something about that sin down there. It's, 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 it's not a, a booster shop or a backup plan. Jesus is plan A. He is not a do-over. It is not a surprise. That's one of the things that Gabriel unpacked a lot. None of it is a surprise to God. And we can't know the answer to those questions. If God knew this would happen, then why? We can trust in, as, as Gabe says, 
the boss has a plan for everything. And we can, we can live our lives, we can base our lives, we can entrust our lives on that. Now, Paul unpacks a little bit some of the, some of the, the larger concepts of, of God's holding the story back. And, and as, as we saw last week, I, I believe he held the story back so that the enemy wouldn't know what the big plan was so that he would be tricked into playing his part at the end. And let's look at a couple of things that Paul has to say just about the timing and how that, that might fit into that. Let's look at Galatians 4, with, uh, verses 1 through 7. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. Because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, Paul mentions that before, before, uh, before Christ comes into our lives, we are under the influence of the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Another mention of the powers that have been brought down in, in the Magnificat. Uh, another mention of, of, this, of this battle between dark and light. And, and his, his reference to the fullness of time, the, the thing that God has been planning for, for ages, is, is the moment when Jesus comes and we are redeemed and adopted as kids, his children. Our status completely changes. Our identity shifts completely when we are, when we are brought into the family of God, and given his spirit. And that's the point I want, I want to make uh, if there's only one thing you hear today. The spirit that God has given us is the same spirit that conceived the Christ child in Mary's womb. The power of Christ being born in us is, is just as real and powerful as it was in Mary's body. It is in our bodies, our souls, our spirit, our hearts. He is no stranger to bringing new life. He is no stranger to taking that which cannot bear life and bringing life from it. He's no stranger from, from the, the, the worst behavior and morals uh, to using and turning lives embedded and, 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 um, and addicted to transformation and walking out his light and, and bearing testimony to his faithfulness. And so we carry the spirit that, that conceived Jesus, and God is, is waiting to continually reconceive him and refresh his, his life in us. 
Now, Gabriel also in his story talked about how every angel has to say, don't panic, I'm not going to hurt you when they step from the throne room to earth because they, they, um, they absorb God's glory more in their spiritual beings. Well, Paul refers to that phenomenon directly. Uh, well, well, first, let's, let's unpack that transfer, the glory transfer process from Exodus 34. Instead of just referring to Moses, let's, let's read, it's only a couple paragraphs. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. So just like the experience with the angels, do not be afraid. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. I don't know if they thought he was someone else or an angelic being, but he said, hey, it's me, guys, come on. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out so that he was in face-to-face -face contact. There was nothing between them. All right, and when he came out and told the Israelites what, had, what he'd been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So, not to get too technical, but the veil is off when he's talking to the Lord and then when he's delivering the Lord's words and then, then puts the veil back on. And it's, it's, a, it's a device that, that has, has a... a, a uh, a double purpose um, in terms of uh, conveys the glory of God while also um, um, allaying the fears of the people because of their, their, their uh, not understanding. And, and so when we go back to the New Testament, Paul uses Moses' glow to illustrate how much greater our time is in when we are living and how much greater our experience of God's uh, blessing and presence are. So he contrasts the weakness of the Old Covenant with the power of the New. Let's look uh, at uh, 2 Corinthians 3 briefly. Now, if the ministry that brought death, referring to, to that time, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. It's like he's saying, do you guys have any idea how good you have it? How wonderful things are? We thought they were good before when Moses glowed. Now it's crazy over the top better. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. There's, there's, a, there's another reason uh, that I failed to mention, that, that the witness of the fading glory uh, was prevented by the veil being there. But their minds were made dull, 
For the, to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been taken, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's, let's leave that, that, that uh, phrase up right there. So you see how uh, Paul is very forensic. He thinks like a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He, th he is a Pharisee. So he thinks like a lawyer. He thinks like somebody building a case, which a lot of times is, is why sermons are too much like that in building a case like that. But, but Paul has been building his case about the old covenant and the way things were and how much better things are. And this is his, his climax. He has been crescendoing to this, that whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil, any, everything that was between us and God is taken away. There is no barrier. There is nothing between us. And goes to what, what I mentioned, he says it's so much better than I did in terms of the spirit that conceived Christ in, Jesus, in Mary is in you. And where the spirit is, there is freedom. That goes directly in, into everything that he's been building in terms of the law and the systematic commandments that were part of the old. Now we are in a place that is entirely different, a place of freedom. We could, we could have a, a four-month sermon series just on that sentence. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And so, so the barrier is gone. We're no longer slaves. We are children. We are adopted into the family. There's, no, there's nothing between us and God anymore. And so we are transformed into his image with that ever-increasing glory as our lives, as our, the fancy word is sanctification. As we become more like Jesus, we look more like him because his spirit is, is free to, to, um, to, to build that image once Christ is, is born in us. So this, this double related, func uh, related um, role of the veil in, in function and effect, it, it, it holds back the glory of God, and it holds back understanding. It's, it's the role the veil plays. And so when the, when the veil is taken away, God's glory and, and deeper understanding are, are let loose. And there's no longer any reason to fear. Because the spirit, the spirit that, that brings Jesus into the world is in us. As people were frightened at the sight of Moses... There's no discussion of fear in Paul's language, but rather it's opposite, freedom. Freedom to walk out Jesus. We need not live in fear any longer because the light has come, the Spirit has come, and the, the transforma transformation that, that takes it all away is right here in, in the manger in Jesus as a kid, I was really afraid of the dark. I mean, so much so that in the middle of the night, if I had, up, had to get up to go to the bathroom, uh, the, the bathroom, if, if I went out my door, it was just like right there. But most of the time, instead, I would just go a little bit to the right, 
and go through mom and dad's room to the, to the bathroom they had. Because as soon as I stepped into their bedroom, I, I knew that my parents were with me, that I was with it, especially my dad. I can remember standing at the foot of my dad's bed. Dad? Dad? I didn't, I, yeah, didn't want to bother him, but I, I, I wanted to hear his voice. And he would tell me, he would tell me everything was okay. And, and, I'd, and I'd make it back to bed. And, and that's a, a very a oversimplified illustration of, of we can know even more sure than I was that my dad was there when I, when I wasn't by myself in the hall bathroom, but I was somehow in my dad's presence using his bathroom. Emmanuel is a far greater presence of God in our lives. The, the fact that he is here, that he is not going away, nothing is going to take him from us, that he is closer even than I was to my dad sitting at the foot of his bed because he's inside me. Somehow Christ is with us, he's beside us, but he's inside us as well. And so the challenge every year is not to tell the story in a fresh way, Although that's nice in our, in our culture where we are accustomed to being entertained by the way stories are told to us. The, the important thing is, is to open our hearts. The important thing is to walk like Mary in surrender, in openness to any call that the Lord brings. She got an unexpected request that day. And her response, I mean, she had a hundred miles to think about it, but her response was one of praise and glory. And those two women, in their obedience to God, in their serving Him, is an example for all of us, as, as God will whisper a call to every one of us. He calls us every day, and there will be other calls along the way. So the question is, will we say, yes, Lord, like Mary, or will it be a, you know what, let me think about it, or a no? She sets the example for us, and he is here with us to guide us on the way. And so as we... Uh, as we end our time together this morning, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the example of your servant, your servants, Mary and Elizabeth. We thank you for the example uh, of, of all the truths that, that spill out of her in this wonderful song of your, of your caring for the humble and your, and your toppling the mighty and your coming to live among us as Emmanuel. Help us to trust in your presence. Help us to drive, well, we ask you to drive the, the dark of doubt away, as the song says, to, to drive away our fears and increase our trust, our faith, our reliance on you, and, and our obedience to your call in ways that, that glorify your name uh, even more than the songs of praise we sing you. Let our lives be songs of praise as we Celebrate your presence and, and walk out your love in this time according to your glory and will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Oak Haven Church. We're located at 2175 Witzel Avenue in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. To hear previous podcasts, visit our website at oakhavenchurch.net.